You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 20 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one in the pews there for you. Uh, You could use Revelation chapter 20. Um, As you're opening up, before we pray, I'm going to read verses 1 uh, through 7 for us this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 and 7 to 10, um, but um, we need to read the first seven verses as we get going this morning. So Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through seven. John, he writes this. He goes, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding his hand, holding in his hand the great chain. He seized a dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him in the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years are ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years are ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. And that's where we'll end for now. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we come not because of me, not because of who I am or the name of this church, Lord, we come because of you and who you are, and we come to know about you, to learn about you and your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we come, and we ask that you would teach us. I am not the teacher, you are. And so we come seeking your word to enlighten us, to teach us, to equip us, but also to challenge us and convict us where it needs to. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to exalt the Lord today, and that you would work through us to bring your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, I hope you've been learning and enjoying this series that we've been in uh, over the last couple uh, months. Uh, next week is our last series, in, um, last message in this series of what's next. And so that means in two weeks, we start one that I'm very excited about that I told you last week. Uh, we're going to start the book of Exodus in two weeks. I'm very, very, very excited for that. Uh, but let's go back to what I just said to you. I asked you, I hope you're enjoy, you've learned and enjoyed this message. Maybe you haven't enjoyed this, mess, this series, uh, because this series has been tough in some regards. But maybe when we first started this series, or you heard about us doing this series, you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't, I don't want him to talk about that stuff. I'd rather him not talk about that. But then, as we've gone through, you've kind of enjoyed it a little bit. That happens in life at times, doesn't it? Where you don't think you're going to enjoy something, or you don't need something, and then all of a sudden, something happens, and you're like, oh, that was truly amazing. I'll give you an example, right? A couple of years back, uh, we had a white van, and we had to take the white van to get inspected. And the white van went in the inspection, and it did not come out of inspection. Uh, the mechanic goes, uh, your van, is t- it's time to put it out to pasture. Uh, he goes, uh, the rust in the frame and everything along those lines, he goes, I can't pass it for inspection. The great news is two weeks before that, the money I'd been saving up for a second vehicle, I used to pay off our big van. So now we had nothing, right? And so he goes, you need a new vehicle. Uh, I can't pass this. And so I'm like, great. I am not one for impulse buying. You could ask my wife. The first new car I bought took me nine months to purchase it, all right? Uh, And so 
we needed a new vehicle. And so we started looking and looking at all these different things. I don't know, you know, I have four kids and none of them are small, okay? Uh, and I'm not the smallest human being on the planet either, right? And so it needs to have room. And so thankfully, a friend of mine, uh, he owns his own used car dealership right across the New York border. And he posted on his uh, website uh, a car that he just got in. And I'm like, oh, that looks nice. It had the third row seats and everything along those lines would fit all of us. It'd be nice, right? And so I, I emailed him. I'm like, hey, Mike, can you save that car for like two days until I get up there to look at it? Because we need one. He's like, oh, sure, no problem. So Amy and I get up there and we're looking at the car and I drive the car. Car is great. And then I find out that it had seat warmers, okay? Now growing up, right, growing up, seat warmers... No such thing as seat warmers, right? And I know the technology didn't exist when I was a kid, even if the technology was there. Seat warmers were a no-go because even right now I'm preaching this, this saying is in my mind. Beggars can't be choosers. Some of you have heard that saying. I have lived by that all 42 years of my life, right? It's been that type of life for us. Beggars can't be choosers. So I'm like, seat warmers. I don't need seat warmers. I don't care if I have seat warmers, and I don't want to pay extra to have seat warmers, right? I don't need them, right? But he knocked some off the price, and so we bought this car, and we purchased it in October of that year. A couple weeks later, it was cold out right? So I got in the car and I turned the dial all the way up and I go, this is amazing, right? It was a giant heating pad that was on my legs and my back and this was fantastic. And I go, I love seat warmers. I didn't know what blessing seat warmers were until I got a seat warmer and I always thought I didn't need a seat warmer. Now granted, I'm saying this kind of tongue-in-cheek because in my other vehicle, we don't have seat warmers, all right? We, there's no seat warmers in the big van. But what I'm trying to get across to you is this. There have been blessings for you in your life that you may not have known about or didn't think that you would enjoy until you actually got to that point and experienced it. And you go, this is amazing. It's an absolute blessing. Well, this morning, we're going to see something very similar. You see, in the line of the what's next, there is a blessing for you that you may not know about. It's an unknown blessing for many. And it's not heaven. I'm not talking about heaven this morning. I'm talking about heaven next week. But this morning, we're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about the Messianic kingdom of Jesus. And it's a huge blessing for you if you're a Christian. And so this morning, that's what we're going to see, this unknown blessing that is the kingdom of Christ. And as we do, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Satan's arrest, we're going to see Christ's reign, and we're going to see Satan's judgment. And so we're going to get to work this morning. So we got a lot of things to cover this morning. We see Satan's arrest in verses 1 to 3, which we'll get to in a moment. But last week, as we looked at the judgments... Now, last week I told you about two judgments, the, the judgment to life and the judgment to contempt. And we told you last week that one of those, <clears throat> the judgment of life, took place before a thousand-year period of time. And then last week I told you the second judgment, the judgment to contempt, took place after that thousand-year period of time. Well, that thousand-year period of time is what we're looking at this morning. And so to give you the timeline so you know where we're at in this series, what we've been looking at, what, we saw the rapture of the church, then we talked about the first part of the tribulation period, and then we took two weeks and we talked about Satan, and then we talked about the Antichrist, and then Tom spoke about the second part of the tribulation period, and then I came back and I, I talked to you about the uh, second coming of Jesus and the battle of Armageddon, and then last week we talked about the two judgments, right? And so along this timeline, if you would, where the millennial kingdom, this thousand-year reign of Christ happens is this. Jesus comes back, right? The second coming of Jesus. He comes back, the battle of Armageddon happens, and then he ushers in this thousand-year period of time. And so this thousand-year period of time is in between the second coming of Jesus and heaven. Okay? If you need a drawing of that, I can get you a drawing. But it's right in between those two events. And this thousand-year period of time is called the Messianic Kingdom or the Millennial Kingdom of Jesus. 
And it's just that. It's a 1,000-year period of time where Jesus is ruling and reigning from this earth. Actually, from Jerusalem. But we have a problem. What the problem is, not everybody agrees on this. So, what we're going to do for a moment or two is this. How many of you remember Big Word Sundays? Any of you? Some of you? This side, you're my favorite because you remember it and you raised your hand. This side, you got some work to do, right? Some of you may not know Big Word Sundays. Big Word Sundays is where I throw big theological words at you, right? This morning, we only have three of them, okay? But you'll get it. I just need you to understand this. And what they are are this. Postmillennialism, amillennialism, or amillennialism, and premillennialism. Okay, let's break this down really quickly. How many of you see the word millennialism in there, right? Do you all know what a millennium is? Thousand year period of time, right? So you already understand the biggest part of those words, right? So all three of these are different views on this 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ, okay? And we're going to start with the weird one, all right? At least in my mind is the weirdest one. And maybe you'll think the same way when we're done. Maybe not, but it is, we'll, we'll, we'll see what it is, right? Postmillennialism. What is postmillennialism? I'm giving you a working idea of each one of these because I could have easily done a whole sermon on them and I didn't want to do that to you, okay? You'd probably tar and feather me afterwards, right? Just a working idea on these. Postmillennialism is this. What it teaches is this. That mankind, our culture, is going to keep getting better and better and better. Okay? Not in the realms of technology, but just people, right? Just life is going to get so much better that the church, the capital C church, is going to go out and evangelize and bring so many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that the world is going to change because so many people are Christians. And then the world is going to be so Christianized that Jesus is going to come back and the church is going to go, here, Jesus, here's your kingdom. We prepared the kingdom for you, right? Let me ask you a question. Is the world getting better? No. Absolutely not. That's why this one is kind of out there. It only really gains traction when things are going really well in the world. That the world is just going to get better and better and better. The church is going to bring so many people to Jesus. And then Christ is going to return and there's going to be this huge kingdom of followers of Jesus Christ. That's post-millennialism in a nutshell. Amillennialism or amillennialism is this. They believe that there's no literal reign of Christ over any earthly kingdom. What they say is that Jesus is not going to come back and rule and reign from the earth for a thousand years. He's not going to do that. What they say is that Jesus is presently, right now, reigning over a spiritual kingdom, either in the hearts of mankind, heaven, or the church. And that the thousand-year period of time that is spoken about here in Revelation chapter 20 does not mean a thousand years. It just represents a long period of time that we don't really know how long is. And many that hold to this view believe that the fullness of the kingdom has already arrived on earth and we're presently in the age between the first and second resurrections. So in a nutshell, they don't think there's going to be a literal, physical kingdom that Jesus rules and reigns over. That's amillennialism, millennialism. One issue I have with this thought is this. For many who hold to this teaching, they say or think that Satan was bound at the cross. That when Christ died on the cross, that Satan was bound. If the world is like this now and Satan is bound, then as one author puts it, that's a really long leash. Satan is not bound right now. He's not. He will be, but not right now. Then there's the third view, which we as a church and I hold to, is the term premillennialism. Okay, how many of you know what the word pre means? Before, right? So you have the pre-meal before the actual meal, right? You know, pre means before. So millennialism, so premillennialism. So before the millennium. And what this teaching says is this. That Jesus is going to come back, 
before, pre, before the thousand years, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. That's what the scriptures say. That's what we teach as a church. That's what we hold to as a church. And that's what I hold to, that Jesus comes back before this period of time, sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns. That's what we read here. It's literal. It's a literal reading of the scriptures. But a lot of people struggle with this. And one of the things they struggle with is that thousand-year period of time. I want to take a look at this thousand-year period of time as a dad. Okay? You want to do that with me? As a dad. I read to you the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 20. Did you notice anything repeating? Hopefully you did. The phrase a thousand years. In seven verses, the word thousand years, maybe that's two words, but you got me. The phrase a thousand years, six times in seven verses, it's used. Ready? So let's look at this as a dad, because a lot of people say that thousand years isn't a literal thousand years. It's just a period of time. Let's look at this as a dad. Me as a dad, I wake up one day, I go to my family. Family, we are leaving in 20 minutes. And I tell my family six times in three minutes that we're leaving in 20 minutes. Do I mean we're leaving in two hours? No. Do I mean we're leaving tomorrow? No. What do I mean? We're leaving in 20 minutes. If you say something this many times in this short of a period, most likely that's what you mean. And so a lot of people, that's not what God means. Then why does he say it six times in seven verses? It's literally a thousand year period of time. That is what is going to happen. Also, you may not care about this, but some of you might. Premillennialism is the oldest view held by the church when it comes to this aspect, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This goes all the way back to some men who are believed to have been taught by the Apostle John hold to this premillennial view. And I want you to understand that and realize this. And so the question then becomes, so what is this kingdom? What happens? What is this whole thousand-year thing about? Well, let's see. Verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized a dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And so this is the start of the millennial kingdom. Jesus comes back. The battle of Armageddon happens. The false prophet uh, and the Antichrist, they're thrown in the lake of burning a sulfur. And then Satan Satan is the only one that's left. And Jesus goes, so what am I going to do with Satan? And so what he has, he has an angel. And this angel comes down out of heaven, and he has a key, and he unlocks the abyss. The word abyss there means the bottomless pit, and it's not talking about hell. It is the bottomless pit. And so what happens is this angel, he binds Satan. He takes a rope, a chain. I don't know what it is, right? For those of you that have, uh, know of Wonder Woman and her lasso of truth, for some reason all week long, that's what I've been thinking, right? I don't know why, right? This glowing lasso going around Satan. I don't know what it is. But this angel binds Satan, arrests him, if you want to use that word, captures him, seizes him. And he puts him into the abyss, the bottomless pit. And the bottomless pit is not hell. It's not a place for you and I to go to or somebody who rejected Christ. The bottomless pit was a place for demons to be held. It would think of a prison for demons if you wanted in, in a very basic terminology. A prison for demons. There's demons in the bottomless pit right now. Well, here, Satan is going to go in there. He is bound for 1,000 years. He is thrown in there, and the door gets locked. Well, why? Well, we're told why. So that he can't deceive the nations anymore. Satan gets you and I to believe that he is not real. Did you know that? Satan gets you and I to believe that he is stronger than he actually is. 
Satan will even deceive you to think that he's weaker than he actually is. Satan gets you to believe all sorts of things about Jesus and the world. Satan gets you to believe all this false stuff about yourself. All that negative talk that you hear. I'm worthless, I'm no good, this and that. That all comes from Satan. He is a deceiver. And he deceives us to pull us from Christ. And deceit leads to a whole lot of sin in, a, in the world and in a person's life. And so Jesus is going to have Satan arrested, if you want to use that language. He's bound and he's thrown in the abyss for a thousand years so that he cannot deceive the world. Get this, for 1,000 years during the reign of Jesus, Satan is not on the earth deceiving people. Satan and his demons for this 1,000-year period of time are not going to be on the earth. They're not going to be deceiving people. They're not going to be working in the life of people. So let me ask you a question. Do you think if Satan and demons are out of the picture that the world would be a different place? I, the Yankees wouldn't be in last place. There would be no pumpkin spice anything, and I don't think cats would exist, right? I, that's just the way I am. Don't send me an email. You know I kid about the cats, kind of, right? 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 We all know that if Satan and demons were out of the picture and they couldn't work in or deceive or trick people and in their lives in the world, that this world would be a different place. You're, you all know that. You all agree with me. That's what's going to happen during this thousand-year reign of Jesus. That Satan and demons, they're off the picture. They're not going to be doing any of this. And so just by that, this thousand-year period of time is going to be incredibly, incredibly different. But I want you to see something in the rest of Satan. If I were to come to bind you, most of you would fight back. You see, most people, an animal, a human, whatever, when you go to bind them, when you go to capture them, when you go to seize them, what do most people and most animals do? They try to fight back and run away, right? Be with me on that. Do you see Satan fighting back at all in those verses? No. Can't. There's no fight. God goes, this is what's taking place, this is happening, and you, you can't fight against it at all. There's no fight from Satan. And the reason I bring that up is this. You and I, we live in a time where people think Satan is as powerful as God. If you think Satan is as powerful as God, you are wrong. You are plain old wrong. Satan is not the equal to God. There is no equal to God. Satan is weaker than God. God created Satan. Satan is a created being. He is a fallen angel that God created. We talked about him a couple weeks back in this series. I listened to a pastor a couple years ago share his story, his testimony. And what he said in it was this. He goes, when I was a teenager, I used to worship Satan and play around with all that kind of dark magic type of stuff. He goes, then one day I was thinking, he goes, I was sitting there and thinking, he goes, you know what? If there's this much power on the dark side, the wrong side, how much power is on the good side? And God used that to do a work in his life, and he has been a pastor for decades in his life. I point this out to get you, to encourage you to realize that Satan is not as strong as God. Satan can't fight against God. He can't. Satan's not going to do something in your life that God does not allow. And we need to realize that. And so this is the start of the kingdom. Jesus comes back, battle of Armageddon happens. Satan is arrested. He's, he's locked up in the abyss so that he can't deceive people for a thousand years. And so what is this kingdom? Well, let's find out. It's Christ's reign. This is where Christ reigns. Satan's arrested. He's thrown in the jail. And at this point, Jesus starts his thousand-year reign on earth. But look at verse 7. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. 
I need you to pause with me. Last week we spoke about verses 4 and 5 and the judgments. It doesn't tell us anything about what this millennial kingdom is going to be like. The end of verse 3, we're told that Satan is arrested. And then in verse 7, when the thousand years are over, like, we mean over, it just started. Does John tell us anything about the kingdom other than how long it is? No, he doesn't. No details. Well, why is that? One reason that John doesn't give us any details about this kingdom is this. There is so much detail about this kingdom in the scriptures that John was like, you already have it. Why do I have to write it if you already have it? For example, you see, the millennial kingdom is talked about throughout the Bible. Multiple locations in Isaiah, multiple locations in Jeremiah, multiple locations in Ezekiel. It is talked about in Joel, Hosea, Zephaniah, Zechariah. It is even mentioned in the Gospels in different ways in different times. This millennial kingdom is mentioned throughout the entire Bible. And John goes, you already know these details. Why am I going to give them to you? So what are these details? So if you have the Bible and you follow uh, the bulletin and you're following along, and point number two, you see nine things. And if you don't have a bulletin, I just ruined your day. The pastor has nine sub-points in point two. Yes, and then we have point three, okay? So aren't you glad you came today, right? Don't worry. Five minutes on each point will be done really, really quick, Okay. That would be 45 minutes. And some of you are like, ah, that's all right. we, still, we have time. It's all good, right? I'm going to pull out nine things from the Scriptures to give you an idea of the Millennial Kingdom. But I have to preface that with this. The Millennial Kingdom in heaven are two different things. Some of you think that the Millennial Kingdom in heaven are the same thing. Some of you have never heard anything about the Millennial Kingdom. Some of you have read things in the Bible and you go, oh, heaven is like that. No, because what you read is talking about the Millennial Kingdom, not heaven. The Millennial Kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus, is a complete different thing than heaven. It is a separate event. Do you understand me? right? It's kind of like a wedding and a reception. The wedding is one event. The reception is a different event, right? Two different events. And so I want you to get an idea of this millennial kingdom and what it is, all right? So we'll start off with number one. Who's going to be there? Who's at this kingdom? Who makes this kingdom up? Well, Jesus will be there, okay? Jesus will be ruling and reigning from there. We'll come back to that in, in a second. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, you'll be in this kingdom. This is an unknown blessing. Some of you don't realize that in Christ, you're going to have this blessed time of a thousand years, even before heaven even starts. You'll be there, right? So what happens is this. We talked about the second coming of Jesus, and I told you at this point, when the battle of Armageddon happens, I summed it up this way. Every person who have ever believed in Jesus Christ in the history of mankind is now alive on the earth, right? From Abraham and Isaac, and, uh, Isaac. I don't know who Isaac is. I tried combining Isaiah and Isaac together, right? So well, both of them will be there, right? Uh, up until now, everybody who has believed in Jesus is now back on the earth when Jesus comes back. So you know what happens? You come back with Jesus. And Jesus arrests Satan. He goes, time for the kingdom to start. Guess who's in the kingdom? You are. Hopefully. If you're in Christ, you'll be in this kingdom. You're going to come back with Jesus, and you're going to live on this earth for another thousand years. Now, when you come back with Jesus, you're going to have a resurrected body. You're going to have your glorified body, and you're going to enjoy this thousand-year period of time. It's going to be fantastic, but there's another group of people that are there. If you've been following along through this, I've told you that during the tribulation period, there's going to be people who come to know Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. They're going to have a, a relationship with Jesus. Not all of them are put to death. 
There are people, men and women and children, who become Christians during the tribulation period. A great number of them are going to be martyred for their faith. But there's going to be a number of them that are not put to death. So what happens to them when Jesus comes back? Do you ever think about that? You know what happens to them? They go right into this kingdom. They don't die. They go right into the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And they live their life. Let me give you an example. Say you're 10 years old and the tribulation period starts. And you make it through the first five years of the tribulation period. So now you're 15 years old. But when you're 15 years old, God does a work in you and you become a Christian. You love Jesus. And for the next two years, it is hard and it is difficult because Satan is doing everything, right? But you are not put to death for your faith. And so when you're 17 years old, you see Jesus coming down out of the clouds. You see Jesus coming down. You're like, Jesus is coming back, right? And you see him arrest Satan and the kingdom starts. Guess what happens? You as a 17-year-old go into the millennial kingdom. You're like, what am I going to do? Well, you're going to get married and have kids. Because those who are alive during the tribulation period and go into the millennial kingdom, they're going to live a life like you and I are living right now. And they're going to get married and they're going to have kids 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 and they're going to have kids. While those of us that have already been died and have come back with Jesus and a resurrected bodies, we're there. So that's who's in this kingdom. It is a kingdom that is made up of, initially, of those who love Jesus. So you have all those people. So the next question then is, who is in charge? Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Told you we'd be back to it. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But listen to this. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So who's in charge? Jesus Jesus is on the earth for a thousand years, physically on the earth, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. He's on the earth. But guess what? He's not the only one reigning. Because if you have millions and billions of people throughout the earth, on the earth during this time, you need people to govern them. It's not a perfect place. It's not heaven. But it's a whole lot better than it is now. You need people to govern. And so what happens when you take all different passages of Scripture, Jesus is going to appoint people who love him and trust him to govern other people. That's what it means will reign. See, you don't understand this. There may come a day where Jesus looks at you and goes, you did such a great job, I'm going to have you rule over this city or this area. That's part of your rewards in Christ that we talked about last week. That we will reign with Christ. And for some people, that's going to be in a position of authority. I'll use the word loosely, govern. To lead people. To make sure people aren't going off their rockers. If that makes, helps you at all. And so who's in charge? It's Jesus. And then he sets up his government, if you want to use that word. Of people ruling and reigning underneath him all over the world. Because he's sitting in Jerusalem ruling as king. All right, so we know who's here. We know who's in charge. But did you know this? The earth is going to be different. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Isaiah 35 is speaking to the millennial kingdom. What do you read there? The deserts are going to bloom. How does a desert bloom? It's no longer a desert. It becomes lush. The earth is going to be different during this kingdom. Over the course of the tribulation period, we have talked about things falling down from the sky and earthquakes and hailstorms and everything like that, just destroying stuff. I told you a couple of weeks ago when Jesus comes back, he steps foot on the Mount of Olives, an earthquake happens, and the mountain literally splits in two. There's going to be tons of topographical changes that happen to this planet. 
during the tribulation period, but during the millennial, it is going to be different. Deserts are going to be this lush, watery areas. It's all going to look great. It's going to be wonderful. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I had to drive down to the Northwest School District, which is like off of Shikshini somewhere, and they have a little tiny sign, right? A little tiny sign, right? Well, we, had, we went down Route 11, and you could see the Susquehanna River there. And Noah goes, don't drink that water. Because if you look out, the Susquehanna River right there is literally a darker brown than the pews that you're sitting on right now, right? And I was thinking, if nothing happens during the tribulation period to the Susquehanna River, during the millennial kingdom, it'll be clean. That Jesus is going to do a work like that. The earth is going to be different. And so you're going to come back and go, hey, this is where I lived, but things are different. The earth is going to be different during this kingdom. But we're not done yet. Here's one for you. The animal kingdom will be different. Many people ask me about animals in heaven. And my response is always, yes, all kinds of animals will be there except for cats. Okay? That is, Abby, you've heard that answer so many times, you should know that. You shouldn't be surprised by that, right? Like, cats won't be in heaven. I'm sorry, that's just the way things are. I could be completely wrong in that. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but the reason people ask me the question, are animals in heaven, is because a lot of times we read in the book of Isaiah things like this. In Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verses 6 through 9, what we read is this. It's not on the screen, so you have to pay attention. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Notice the cow is not food for the bear. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what we're told there is animals no longer harming each other and eating each other. We're told that the lion is going to eat straw like the ox. He's not going to be, they're going to be vegetarians. And we're told that little children can play with cobras. And nothing is going to happen. The animals are not going to attack. They're not going to attack people, right? You go... Hey, kids, go play with the cobras for a while while I make lunch, and everything's going to be okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to jump on the line and go for a ride, because I think that would be quite fun. And you're going to be able to do that. Animal, the animal world is going to be completely different. They're all going to get along with each other. They're all going to get along with you. Why? No cats, okay? Right? I'm, I'm kidding, Abby, I'm kidding, right? But this is, right, this is where it's really different. And a lot of people read those passages like that and go, that's heaven. No, that's speaking to the millennial kingdom. That's speaking to the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And so the animal kingdom will be different. And I told you this already, but what else is going to be different about this is that Jerusalem is going to be the capital city of the whole world. You and I are familiar with the term world power. America is the world power. China is the world power. All those different things. During the thousand-year reign of Jesus, Israel is the world power, to use that language. The capital city of the entire world is Jerusalem. Jesus will be sitting and ruling and reigning there, and you would be able to go to him and walk into Jerusalem and meet with Jesus. Jerusalem is going to be the capital city, and Israel is going to be the world power during this time. But we're not done yet. I have four more. Disabilities will be gone during this time period. Isaiah chapter 35, yes, back chapter 35, verses 5 to 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leave like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. 
Isaiah chapter 35 tells us that the creation is going to be different, but it also tells us that disabilities will be gone. What a glorious day that will be. You see, those who come back with Jesus will have glorified bodies. Those who came to know Jesus during the tribulation period weren't put to death and live right into the tribulation period. It seems that their bodies may even be healed. You see, we live for decades on this earth and our bodies hurt. I graduated physical therapy for my knees and then I hurt my shoulder in just exercising. So guess where I'm back at? Physical therapy. Our bodies hurt. We can't do things. But even before heaven gets here, Jesus goes, how about we enjoy a thousand years without that? Even before heaven. We, we, we get to live without any of that. It's all, all gone. And the thousand year reign of Jesus. What an amazing thing. But that's not it. World peace. I know we laugh at the idea of world peace, but guess what? World peace. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. We read this. He, that is Jesus, will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Because Jesus is ruling and reigning, the nations are going to take their military weapons and use them for good. Not even going to train anybody for war. Not going to be needed. There won't be any war at all. There will be conflicts because sin is still there in the millennial kingdom. But there won't be any conflicts. There will not be any war, war worlds because Jesus will take care of it. Another one for you. Number eight, long life. Isaiah chapter 65, once again, this speaks to uh, the millennial kingdom. Uh, at least this part of it. Isaiah chapter 65, all right? And what we read there, and this is some great stuff. I'm not going to read it all to you, but Isaiah chapter 65. Starting down in verse 20. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought of, of a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accused. They will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And what we're told there in Isaiah 65 is this. If you die at 100, you're considered a child. So you read the book of Genesis and see people living six, seven, eight, nine hundred years that's going to return. That people who come into the millennial kingdom, those who are born during the millennial kingdom, will live for hundreds of years. You and I will have our resi resurrected bodies. We're not going to have to die again, so we'll be there for all 1,000 years, right? So long life. People are going to live for hundreds of years, and what are we going to do? Just so sit around and be bored? No, we're going to live life. God is not boring. If you think God is boring, you don't know Him. We're going to build houses and live in them and plant vineyards, and we're going to live life, and there's going to be culture, and there's going to be activities, and there's going to be life and parties and a goodness and doing stuff together for a thousand years. For a thousand years. And then there's one more thing for you. The temple and its services will be back. This is the Jewish temple. 
If you were to read Ezekiel chapter 40 to chapter 48, yes, Ezekiel 40 to 48, you read a lot about the temple in Israel and the services being held into it. Well, this actually speaks to the millennial kingdom. It speaks to a time that is to come. It seems that the temple will be there and the services like the different feasts and things like that will be taking place. You go, why are we going to go back to doing that? Well, long story short, it's the same thing, same reason why we do communion. Communion is done in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And so we'll go back and do the things in the temple as a remembrance of the person, the work of Jesus, because it all points to him anyways. And so I hope this gives you a glimpse of the coming kingdom of Jesus. But you know the saying, all good things come to an end, right? Not heaven, but this kingdom will come to an end. And what we see there is Satan's judgment. It's verses 7 through 10. And what you see there is simply this. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle and in number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is Satan's judgment. If you're paying attention, you should start asking from the beginning, why is Satan arrested and then we're told that he's going to be released? And why does God release Satan after a thousand years? Hopefully you asked that question. He's going to be released so he can go out and deceive the nations and surround the camp of God to attack Jesus once more. I told you the people that come into the millennial kingdom and they have children, and they have children, and they have children. Well, guess what? The people living during the millennial kingdom, not all of them are going to believe in Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. On a spiritual side, they are still going to reject Jesus. And so at the end of the millennial kingdom, God will release Satan. Satan will come and he'll deceive all those people who have rejected Jesus as, as spiritual king. And they will lead one final attack against God. And God goes, I'm done. I had enough of this. And he says, unleashes fire. Satan is thrown in the lake of burning sulfur. He's thrown into hell. And on that, you need to understand this. Satan is not in charge of hell. Satan's not in charge of hell. Jesus is. Satan will be a prisoner in hell. Hell is not a place of partying. Hell is not a place of you hanging out with your friends. Hell is a place where you can't even see your hand in front of your face and you'll be in eternal torment and pain for absolutely ever. And you're going to be in the same boat as Satan. Eternal torment if you reject Jesus. Satan's thrown there. He's not in charge of hell. He's a prisoner of hell. But I want to bring you back to this today. What we have here is a tale of two thrones. You see, those living during the kingdom will have Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem. And externally, they will worship him. Externally, they will trust Him. Externally, they will love Him. Externally, they will put a show on that Jesus is the King in and over their lives. But inwardly, they reject Jesus as King. Inwardly, they don't receive.